Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. Well, just like we're doing today with CRISPR and this newer technology of DNA splicing. So is it possible that knowledge was available and taught or, or was done by the watchers or the offspring and they did their own scientific manipulation? Maybe they even had the ability to manipulate those things, not necessarily with a, a laboratory, but maybe even as an ability. And, and God found that to be very offensive or sinful. to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week, we're going to dive into Reviewing Blurry Creatures episode number 11 with Dr. Judd Burton, and discussing, was there a gap of unknown time between the beginning of creation in Genesis 1-1 and 1 verse 2, when the earth was without form and void? And then we're also going to discuss just what were the days of Noah like. What a terrible time to live in the violence and evil as God described it. All the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually all the time.
Well, all right. Um, so this week, we are going to go over Judd Burton, guest on Blurry Creatures, episode number 11. And I didn't write down the title of the show for some reason. <laughs> Do you guys remember? Episode 11 with episode 11 with Judd Burton. Um, I think it was something to do with, it might have even been the Days of Noah, the title of our show, because he's talking about kind of uh, the uh, antediluvian world. Right. Um, the Ancient Giants with Dr. Judd Burton. And oh, well, that the was, okay. it was his first, uh, it was the first time on the show for Dr. Judd. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, I was telling Don, he turned into one of my favorites. He just... He's just uh, uh, a living encyclopedia uh, yeah. as far as his knowledge. Yeah, he can rattle off stuff. Um, I'd say maybe Gary Wayne, Michael Lake, those are a couple more guys that can that, that are just fountains of knowledge right off the top of their, head, their heads. Um, yeah, uh, Don, uh, the, the Gary Wayne that Peter just mentioned. So I, I listened to an episode where he was uh, being interviewed on Blurry Creatures. Uh-huh. And then, you know, at the end of the show, they're usually plugging their books and their websites and stuff. And uh, go figure, I owned his book. <laughs> it was on <laughs> my bookshelf. Had I, hadn't even, I hadn't even opened it yet. And uh, it came highly recommended. And it's just one of many that I, I need to read. And go figure, I get to listen to him expound on his book before I even open the book. But it was <laughs> which, which book was that again? The Genesis Six Conspiracy. Oh, you do, and that one's like eight hundred pages, right? Oh yeah, it's, I got it on paperback, but yeah, it's thick. Yeah, so I have the I have the Kindle, but I think I'm gonna need to do like an Audible upgrade if they have it available, because <laughs> that yeah, one's gonna be tough to get through. That? Just reading, I always get through books faster uh, audibly. So yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, it helps. All right, so in review of. Episode 11, Judd Burton, Ancient Giants. So I think one of the first questions, and they spent a good deal of time talking about this, what were the days of Noah like? So the word is anti, antediluvian, before the deluge. Um, before the flood. Yeah. So one of the things Judd says is, he, and he just kind of mentions it in passing, he doesn't really go into into why, although we've kind of heard this before from Tib Alberino and others, um, was Adam, he says Adam and Eve were not the first humans. What do you guys think? You think there was like a pre-Adamic race or, or maybe some cataclysm? I think they were, I think, I think Adam and Eve were the, I, I believe the Bible is truth. I don't, mm-hmm. that Adam and Eve were the few, first sons of God in the human form. But there's a there's a we don't know time wise how much time passed um, between the two of them procreating and how many offspring did she have that where she wasn't under the curse of of the labor pains and stuff. So I, I would venture to guess there was children of theirs. They were being what they were doing what God commanded, being fruitful and multiplying. And who knows, maybe even uh, the, the time of nine months was shorter where they were. She was able to conceive labor delivery, you know, have a healthy child in a shorter time span. So that's just kind of my 
running opinion or, or guess on it. Sure. And I guess that depends on if if she had other children prior to the curse. I mean, uh, Cain and Abel being the first that the Genesis records. So we we would after ha- the curse. Yeah, we would have to have some sort of, I guess, some sort of reason to believe that there was some prior to that. If we just and and the reason you know. I uh, one of the uh, I mean the scripture talks about in Genesis uh, there is when Cain um, was under the curse and and sent out there was people that he connected with he ended up meeting a wife and stuff like that you know um, he was a vagabond so uh, there's 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 kind of some scripture I have to pull out my Bible to look at it exactly that reference there was other people on the planet besides adam adam eve and cain sure you know what i'm saying well there could also be interacting with there also could have been a fair bit of time before cain killed abel and you know they had other sons and daughters and you know he married a niece or something like that so it wouldn't necessarily, I guess, all I'm saying is, wouldn't necessarily have to be a predecessor of his. It could have been uh, part of part of that lineage. I don't know. But, yeah, that's well, it. I, Go ahead, Don. Oh, no, I just had uh, uh, something to add to this, and it's just, uh, just st- straight out of the Bible. Um, it's going to be Genesis one twenty eight, and God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish. And then it goes into what they would have dominion over. Um, but the word replenish, I think, is the big catch there because that kind of tells me that there was something there prior and that they would replenish. And it was interesting what, what uh, Luke was talking about when it came to uh, maybe other uh, – other children prior to the birth because uh, in order for somebody to um, receive pain in childbirth, I think the way it's written, they should have already had a child. So I, I, it kind of appears that way. And what, what does everybody think of the time period though, that Adam and Eve were, were in the garden? Um, I mean, the Bible almost makes it look like, you know, they they were created and they ran right to that tree, you know, and, and we just don't have that, that that time period. We just don't have. Right. I know um, a book of Jasher, I think, is the one that has some different time frames given, like they were there for potentially decades. But I, we obviously can't take that as necessarily authoritative. But, yeah, that's possible. What was the verse again, Don, that you read there? It was uh, Genesis one twenty eight. One twenty eight. Okay, and and which uh, version did you have? So I I happen to have uh, King James in front of me. Okay, so, so that, that's what I have right there. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of debate on on the word replenish, and then the idea of um, either a pre Adamic race or what some have termed uh, gap theory or uh, ruin and restoration theory. Um, so I've been listening to a little bit of uh, Doug Hamp, and he's a he's a Hebrew scholar. One of the I w- I would consider him one of the foremost experts on the Hebrew language. 
Um, and I was listening to a debate with, with he and a friend of his also named Doug. Um, and Doug Hamp was taking the position of young earth creationist and no gap theory. And then the other person was, um, old earth creationist, but still six literal days of creation. So that was kind of interesting. He wasn't like totally saying, you know, billions of years plus, you know, non-literal days for, for Genesis, but, um, Doug Hamp, not to get the two Dougs confused, um, he he gets into a lot of the grammar that's involved, and he says it. In his opinion, the the Hebrew grammar makes it clear that um, when you get to Genesis one two, let me just find it here. When you get to Genesis one two. And it says, now the earth was formless and void. Um, he, he calls that a parenthetical statement. And he says it's very common in, in the Hebrew language to do that. And, Expound um, on that. What, is, what, is he, so what does that mean? Parenthet- parenthetical, basically, that's a parenthesis, right? It's kind of like an aside. You know, it's like if I said to you, now, you're, now you remember that story we went to last time? Well, this time when I went, such and such happened. It's it's you're kind of interrupting your thought to give a little bit more information or a little sidebar. And um, I I can't talk about all the finer points of of the discussion, but Doug Hamp kind of says it's it's really clear to him in the Hebrew that there was no gap between God created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis one one. He's saying, before Genesis 1-1, there was literally nothing. There wasn't even space or air or, or void or anything. The first act of creation is Genesis 1-1. And then this gap theory or ruin and restoration, which is kind of what you were hinting at, Don, about uh, the replenishing, um, is that idea that between... Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, something happened. Maybe the the fall of Satan, you know, some cosmic battle, um, the the earth in desolation, and then it had to be replenished and remade. So that's a that all that stuff is really interesting, and um, and we can definitely devote more time to that. And I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just just one one guy that I've I've kind of latched on. And I will say this too quick. Um, Mike Heiser has a a, um, a series of uh, lectures. It seems like he did it like in a university setting. And he's talking about this very thing. He says that you can actually make the case grammatically correct that instead of in the beginning, it could say... Um, Once upon a time? No, how did he put it? He said when. <laughs> Well, actually, I heard once upon a time one time, yeah, so I wasn't yeah. trying to, yeah. Um, anyway, that's, and that, to me, I don't know if it sticks in my mind, because you still have that word in Genesis 1-2 where it says now. So if you said, you know, when God began, or when God made the heavens and the earth, and then comma, 
now the earth was formless and without form or without or formless and void um that that word now doesn't fit when you start a sentence with when to me so i'm I'm not so I don't sure. know what version you're using with that. Um, uh, I'm, it's, I'm it's in the not, new. It's not necessarily a version. Mike Heiser was making the the, the case that, um, in terms of the Hebrew words used, that it actually could fit to say when, but most translations stick with in the beginning for the first three words. They don't use when. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting to me. It's. Um, in verse two, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. So that tells me that there before the six days of creation, there was already uh, the earth in a, in, 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 Genesis in, one, in a certain one. state. Yes. Genesis 1, 1 gives us heaven and earth. But in a incomplete state is the way Doug Hamp puts it. He he uses the analogy of uh, concrete in a mixer, right? It's just a slurry. Um, it's not poured into a, a form yet. It's not complete. Um, yeah. So, and and when we do have, and this is just kind of my thought on it, we do have that verse about the waters being divided from the waters, and let and let the waters. Um, be separate from the dry land, right? So, so what if it, the Earth literally was a slurry of water and soil and rock, and then he separated them? That would make a lot of sense because then, then it would literally be like concrete in a mixer. It would just be like this, you know, this goo. And then he separated the land, separated the water. That would make sense. Unless it was, as we see islands, you know, you think of a volcano that comes up from the, you know, the, the ocean floor. Oh, and forms know, brand new unless, land. And so, so perhaps the earth, as it was said in verse two, was without form and void and darkness. So uh, you've heard Tim Averino discuss this. He, he, he thinks of earth as being in a state of judgment and that during the time of Genesis, God is restoring um, earth Mm -hmm. and, and giving and and so he's making it new again, he's restoring it. And then he's creating all these, this wildlife um, and then the first humans. Um, So I could almost envision there's land Underneath the waters, it's dark. It's in a state of judgment. There's water everywhere. So it's like one big globe of water. And then out of the water, the land is coming up, which now is... I was just reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let us divide... Verse 6. Let us divide the waters from the waters. So it's almost as if, you know, you have one universal ocean, you know, because it's, it's the whole globe is water. But then if the land's coming up, now it's dividing the waters from the waters and it's creating an Atlantic Ocean over here and a Pacific Ocean over here and a 
You know, it's dividing the waters from the waters and it's giving you specific areas to, to, to for the to land inhabit. dwellers yeah. to what, inhabit. What do you think, um, if you were to, you know, obviously Tim's not right here, but if you were to pick his brain and say, okay, let's re- leave room for this, this cataclysm or this judgment, where in terms of the order of creation would it have happened? Because if we're talking about we've got heaven and earth and it's without form because it was it was later days of creation that he gets to plants animals people all of that stuff right so if we're talking about some time period where there was this war or this judgment happening wouldn't that have preceded all of that stuff like literally no animals no plants Yes, as far as as far as Earth is concerned, absolutely. So, so the Earth would literally be barren. It would just be like water and and dirt and yeah, and maybe not even a, not maybe not even our star. Yeah, there's no light. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, so that yeah that gets into the, the gap theory, I'm, basically. I'm of the yeah I'm of the opinion that there's. And I think where he's gathering that viewpoint, which is what I was getting at with verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. That hint, that's just a hint that there was something before creation. Before God said, let there be light. Before God divided things. Yeah. That's that's, one way you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, how would he look at it? That's how I would interpret interpret his uh, thinking is he's looking at scriptures like that that hint at something before creation. Okay, so you would say he would he would fit right in with the gap theory that between Genesis one one and Genesis one two there was something un untalked about that went yes. on. Yeah, and that's and that's how and that's yeah. Go ahead. That, that's that's my opinion as well on on creation that even the angelic um was created because i think there's reference of it in job that the angelic was created before man i've heard many commentators talk about it that that the angels observed the creation or the rebirth um, of Earth and in the creation of Genesis six, they yeah, what, observed all that stuff. What what verse? What is the first verse that we have that talks about the angels? Well, I mean, we've discussed it before that we believe we've heard or researched that Job is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible, and I want to say that Job makes mention of it. Well, right at the at the foundation, but you're, the, you're referring to the creation of angels. Yeah, so I mean, I guess if we were to, I'm I'm just trying to reference offhand when it's first mentioned, because already in one twenty six Genesis one twenty six it says, "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness." And um, not to get into that here because we don't have the time or the maybe we haven't done the study. But I don't believe that has to do with the Trinity, that that actually is what Mike Heiser would call the divine council, where he's actually talking to his his first creation, the angels. 
to make mankind in our image. So they're already there. I agree with you. But I think Tim would have, yeah, Tim would have to agree with the gap theory that between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there was some event. And that's, and that's where Doug Hamp, Doug Hamp is saying that the Hebrew grammar doesn't leave room for that, but we can, we can get, we, and, and we can look into that further. Go ahead, Don. And, and obviously, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead look. All I was going to say is, obviously, if you're just using Genesis as a reference point, you get the, the rebirth or the creation there, and you have Adam and Eve, and then you have the temptress. It sounds like a woman. A, <laughs> a, a temp, the, temp, the tempter, tempter yeah. uh, come into the garden. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that he was already created before Adam and Eve were, were formed. He already fell before Adam and Eve were, was created. And he was sitting back observing all this. And then he sees an opportunity to mess with God's creation. What were we going to say, Don? Um, I was uh, I was looking at the verse in Job where it talks about um, what I believe is the first uh, talk of angels. It's... Uh, Job 38. Um, I like to start with two simply because it's uh, just fantastic. Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer, thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Where, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, and who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Right. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely in there before. So if if the Hebrew points to the sons of God and the morning stars as being angels. And I haven't done the research, but I think I've heard Dr. Mike, uh, Mike Heiser talk about this scripture, that they are angels. It tell, that's just another evidence, I believe, uh, Don gave us of, uh, of, of, of the angels being around before Adam and Eve. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think we can all agree on, on that. It's just the question remaining of was there some gap um and does and does the Hebrew grammar leave room for that so I think that's that's probably a good topic in and of itself we can we can dig into further because uh and even if we don't all agree that's okay because I think it's good good to understand that um now dr Judd Burton he tends to go with kind of a, a longer timeline because he references the Pleistocene era or the Ice Age, um, which I, I, I looked that up. It's basically, I think it was about two and a half or 2.7 million years ago and then ending about 9,000 BC. Um, and so he's talking about the, the flood of Noah happening right around the end of that. Um and that's where that's where I again I mentioned I think on the last time we talked that I'm a little sketchy on that timeline just because if you go with a literal 
you know, okay, Adam and Eve, and then you kind of count down the generations, um, and then you count forward to today, you don't get 9,000 B.C. You get like 2,500, 3,500 B.C. So I know the 9,000 B.C. works well with like what Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson are finding out, right? Because they're talking about um, rocks, uh, megaliths being burned, like some sort of solar event happening. You guys recall that? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Or like like an asteroid uh, yeah. calamity. Something like that. So, yeah. So I'm not. Which would be like. Yeah. A, a, which would be like a, a, a nuclear blast. It, the impact would be, you know, a fiery one. It's interesting. The I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. So, the names of the the first uh, patriarchs, I guess you call it, of creation, uh, are really interesting if you string them all together. Okay, so you have Adam, and then Seth, and then Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared. Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and then finally Noah. Okay, and if you take all of those names and you take their meaning, look at what it says. Man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching, his death shall bring the despairing rest. Isn't that fascinating? Wow, I didn't. Yeah, I'm. I was, you know, I was looking at your um, uh, outline that you had sent, and I saw Adam Man set the point, and I, but I failed to read it directly oh, like uh, you did. Yeah, vertically, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's that's incredible. Uh, that's something else. It's incredible how those how those names uh, God uh, put put that together. Now, um, one thing we could do too is. Um, you know, as we're talking about maybe doing this like a book club sort of thing where we, I know we're, we're using Blurry Creatures episodes right now, which is fine, but I'm listening to uh, Ryan Peterson's book, Judgment of the Nephilim, and he's got a really interesting section about Lamech uh, possibly being the first family that um, made the bargain with the fallen angels to you know, let them marry uh, their women in in exchange for knowledge. And then Methuselah, whose name means his death shall bring, basically Ryan talks about Methuselah being like a walking um, time bomb because, because his name literally means that when he dies, the end of the world is coming. And so... so and then, and then the Bible says, um, well, I'll just read this because this is from Ryan's book. This will say it a little better. Okay, so this is from Ryan Peterson's book, Judgment of the Nephilim. It is noteworthy that Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah. Something at that specific juncture in his life brought the prophet to a life of devotion to the Lord. Methuselah's name provides a clue. The name Methuselah in Hebrew means, when he is dead, it shall be sent. Such an ominous title was an indication that Enoch received divine revelation at the birth of Methuselah, and the prophetic message was of a coming judgment upon the earth. 
A closer look at the timelines of the genealogies of the patriarchs suggests it's no coincidence that Methuselah died in the same year the flood was sent upon the earth. Enoch knew centuries in advance that the destruction of the earth and the human civilization was linked to the life and death of his child. And then he quotes uh, theologian A.W. Pink, who wrote this, Suppose God should say to you, The life of that little one is to be the life of the world. When that child dies, the world will be destroyed. What would be the effect upon you? Not knowing how soon the child might die, there would come before you the possibility that the world might perish at any time. Every time that child fell sick, the world's doom would stare you in the face. Suppose further that you were unsaved. Would you not be deeply exercised? Would you not realize as never before your urgent need of preparing to meet God? Would you not at once begin to occupy yourself with spiritual things? May not some such effects have been produced upon Enoch. Be this as it may, and it is difficult to escape such a conclusion, it is certainly implied that from the time Methuselah was born, the world lost all its attractiveness for Enoch, and from that time on, it never, if never before, he walked with God. Which, uh, it's, it's interesting what you read there, because as we know, Enoch had such a devout relationship with the Lord, intimacy, that he basically got taken, raptured. You know, he did not see death. Um, and if he had a son that made that kind of impression on him, that might have been a catalyst in his, in his spiritual walk that I am going to make every moment of every day to get closer to this creator. And this, this child of mine is, is motivating me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that seems to be what they're saying. I, I think that, that they make a good case for that, both biblically and and kind of uh, speculate specul speculating on it. If I can get my words out, also too, I think uh, Lamech, you know, his name meaning despairing, uh, because that would have been the time period when God saw that the earth was full of violence and every thoughts of man was evil all the time. So that would have, you know, if he would have been kind of that. That from the line of of Cain, I believe, um, bringing about that contract with the fallen angels, bringing in the Nephilim offspring. Um, yeah, his name is very fitting. And then, of course, Noah being rest or comfort. You know that God's dealing with this. And again, we can't take it as uh, as canonical, but I like how the Book of Enoch says things like. Um, Let's see here. And they began, uh, and the giants began to kill men and devour them, and they began to sin against birds and beasts and creeping things and the fish, and to devour one another's flesh, and they drank the blood, and this last part, and then the earth brought accusation against the lawless ones. And there's, a, there's another section in there where they're, they're basically crying out for help. And I think that's, that's one thing I wanted to mention about, like, what was this world like? was just how incredibly difficult it must have been to for humans to survive you know the the type of of, of violence um on the earth um we'll we'll come back to that a little bit later um
one one thing too, and this is kind of a theory both ba- based uh, in evolutionary thought, but also creationists kind of have this, and I think we've talked about it too that the that there's there may have been a higher oxygen content in the atmosphere. Um, and Dr. Judd talks about that, like experiments with fish where they've hyper-oxygenated the water and these fish get two to three times their normal size. Um, I did look that up just briefly at Answers in Genesis and they they kind of talk about the, the reasons for and against that. Um, but they caution that we shouldn't be dogmatic and say that we know it was like that because we're not really sure. I don't know. What do you guys think? You think there's there's something to that that maybe that had to do with like th- um, full genetic expression, as Dr. Judd uh, calls it, where animals and plants were able to get to these massive sizes because of that? I, I think that it's as, as good a theory as any, um, but I like what you said that we shouldn't be dogmatic about it because... I think uh, looking at this information from a Christian perspective, we do have to leave, uh, leave I think, those doors open uh, for what God has possibly done and not told us about. Right. Yeah, and that's, I think some people have suggested, too, like maybe the flood was the thing that, that changed. Because, again, it's talked about that uh, water came up for the, from the ground. So if we go to... Genesis 2, 5, and 6, the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So, again, we we can't be for, for sure that this is saying that there was no rain, but it does seem to suggest that, that it, rain hadn't happened yet. So, again... It, just just as a as a kind of a a, a counterbalance to this view cuz i i tend to agree that that's what that verse is saying but just to balance that out answers in genesis says you know that isn't necessarily the case we we can't be certain that that's what that's saying you guys have any thoughts on that so once again it's genesis 2 5 and 6 and talking about the mist coming up from the ground and and that there was no rain basically like kind of like a rainforest condition is what i would imagine one of one of the things that uh answers in genesis says i'll just read it here another often overlooked aspect of this argument is that rain is an integral component of the water cycle so that process of evaporation cloud formation and precipitation to recycle the water supply. Well, it's possible because if you look at the Genesis 2, where you're making mention of that mist um, coming up, this is before the fall. So this is before the fall of Adam and Eve. So it's possible God used that type of uh, method to water everything, um, to you know, to provide the nutrients, the uh, the for the plants and everything. And it was after the fall, things changed. I mean, the whole planet changed. The DNA potentially even changed of uh, Adam and Eve. 
um, another speculation on that. Um, but uh, that might have been uh, rain might have came after that. And then you have droughts and then you have seasons of, of, of deluge of, of water and, you know, the cycles. Yeah, the cycles. Yeah, I think one thing the Answers in Genesis overlooks is they're, they're kind of suggesting here that this water cycle is necessary. But I don't know that it is. Because if you guys have ever done like a little project in school growing up where you make a little terrarium, right? And you've got, you, you put some water in there and then it basically just, it, it, I mean, it is a cycle in a sense, but it's not, it's not rain. It just stays kind of misty and humid, right? And, and the water cycles through. There is evaporation and all of that, but it, it doesn't need to rain. What what do you think about the uh, when they when God talks about the flood and the the uh, the deep breaks open and you know is part of the flood and then of course rain is starting um, windows of heaven windows of heaven um, my thought is and it, this just kind of came to me but my thought is that uh, when God talks about placing His bowl in the clouds. For, I, it seems like that's the first time it's happening. And and if there was rain, like, all through, you know, the beginning of time, then God would have had to supernaturally make no rainbows, you know, appear. Right, just appear. to, just to it, stop them yeah. from appearing. Yeah, that's what I've often thought, too. And, um, and that's brought up in this article on Answers in Genesis as well. And there... Their position is that uh, the fact that God does not imply that he had never set a rainbow in the clouds before, but only that from now on the rainbow would have a special significance. So, again, they're they're trying to just leave leave open the possibility that there could have been, but now this one this time it has a special significance. But I'm kind of with you. It's the first time it's mentioned. It does seem to have significance that way. Um, I don't know. There's, there, there's lots, there's lots that, that kind of leave open a lot of speculation. Let's see here. All right. The so-called golden age, uh, full of violence, bloodthirsty giants. So it's, it's talked about too, just the idea of, um, the giants subjugating humanity. You know, even even with uh, Michael Tellinger and and the and the you know kind of the Sumerian parallel creation story of the Anunnaki, Luke, you and I talked about that. Where that that's basically the Watchers. That's basically the angels. It's just a non-biblical understanding of it. Is like humans were the slaves. Like we were, you know, we were eaten. We were treated awful. Whatever they wanted to do, they could do. Um, and that's where, you know, where I was reading the uh, the verse from uh, from the book of Enoch about devouring one another's flesh and drinking the blood. Um, and just, that's, I mean, if you think about it, that's the original, like, vampirism, right? Like, the drinking of blood came from that originally. 
um, as a as a precursor. Well, and it's part of it's part of salvation too. So I, that's where I would kind of get a little bit confused. Um, it starts off where God says, "Do not drink blood." And then Christ himself at the Last Supper says to drink, drink blood, his, <laughs> yes. his, his blood. And yes. so I can, I can see how the Jews at the time would be completely out of their minds with what he's oh, saying. Oh, with that saying. Oh, you're right. You're right. Well, and again, we're talking about, um, well, I shouldn't say again, but just theologically, Christ fulfilling the law and Satan trying to counterfeit. So the drinking of blood would have been a counterfeit life because the the Bible says the life is in the blood or the blood is in the life, right? Right. So I think, and and it's also interesting that uh, God specifically mentions that right after Noah gets off the ark, I believe. So it seems to be one of the things that was going on, and he's like, you know, make sure make sure you don't continue this practice. And then uh, another thing Dr. Judd uh, brings up is just the Im- importance to distinct between the Watchers and the Nephilim. So the Watchers being the original angels that um, came to Earth and mated with, with human women, and then the Nephilim are often thought of as their first offspring. And it's kind of used interchangeably, I guess. Would you say, Luke, like... Between giants and Nephilim, that's kind. Of, those two words are kind of used interchangeably. Some people say Nephilim is like the first generation, maybe. Yeah, I've heard it uh, described as first generation. I believe it says it in my Bible that the that giants or Nephilim is the Hebrew word for giants, as as described in Genesis six. And and a lot of our translations, uh, English translations of the Bible leave that word untranslated. But if you go to Septuagint, it it translates it as giants. So and and Mike Heiser points out too that um that that word does not mean fallen ones. Um and I I wish I had the video in front of me, but it's it, it's a very subtle syllable to that word that if it if it meant to say fallen ones, it would say it one way, but it actually uses it the way that fits giants. So that's an important distinction. Like if you were to Google Nephilim right now, you would most likely find some authoritative source that's going to say it means fallen ones, and it actually doesn't. Um, I think Mike Kaiser says it's like neph, Nephilim or something like that would be correct for for fallen ones, but Nephilim is something different. It's it's giants. All right, it's so kind of moving on from there, unless you guys have any other thoughts on that, kind of that pre, pre-Adamic world or pre-flood uh, uh, world. Yeah, I know uh, in that episode, Dr. Judd, he um, equates it to like... Uh, Lord of the Lord of the Rings type of scenario, um, Narnia, um, just a state of chaos, you know. And you have 
otherworldly creatures, you know, roaming about, um, you know, some people even think that because of the sin of the watchers, uh, that even the dinosaurs, at least the ones that were uh, violent, you know, that they were, that was the byproduct of, of all that too. So it was, a, it was from humans to animals. And it was just a, a very, like you said, a very chaotic place to live and to survive. And uh, as we believe, you know, that Noah was the last of his lineage, the last of the true gen genetic humans. Um, and he was being rescued by God to fulfill the gospel, fulfill the, the lineage to the Christ to save the world. And um, so, yeah, our mind cannot fathom, you know, what, what the state of the world was during that time. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the on the dinosaurs. Thanks for bringing that up because I had that in my notes uh, for later, but uh, um, that actually fits really well with kind of talking about this antediluvian world. Um, yeah, I'm with you that I, I just don't see it making sense that. So, well, let me pr preface it this way: I don't believe in the you know 65 million years ago dinosaurs walked the earth. I think there's a lot of evidence that they're much more recent than that and that they were among us with humans and that being kind of the basis of my thought i don't see it making much sense that god creates a t-rex you know a, a um velociraptor <laughs> i mean that that is well, and absolute also, terror yeah. and and also yeah even the bronchiosaurus you know the ones that they they claim to be you know gentle grass eating, you know, plant eating herbivores. Did they make it on the, uh, the ark? You know, no, I don't Were think they, they made it on the ark. Yeah. So that tells me that wasn't, they weren't part of God's cre original creation as far as animals and, and such. Well, because I think the original yeah. is what God is, is pervert preserving. Right. It's after the, its own kind. It's the, it's the tainted ones that are being destroyed. The hybrid, the, you know, the demonic, the non-humans. Right. And even in the, even in the, the, the animal kingdom, that's what gets the judgment. Uh, I want to look up here, um, behemoth in, um, in the book of Job. Um, let's see if I can find the verse here. So, so it's in this whole, you know, diatribe that God is, is giving, uh, you know, where were you when I created the earth? And, um, okay, Job 40, okay, um, it talks about this, this animal that his strength is in his belly and that his tail is like a cedar. I mean, that, to me, that is a type like a Brachiosaurus, Brontosaurus. Um, but like you said, Luke, an herbivore. So maybe that was something that God did create because it's, yeah, it's huge, but it's, it's not a threat to humans. I mean, obviously, unless we, you know, get in its way and it's, it's walking to the swamp and we get squished, but it's not, it's not going after us basically like a T-Rex would. So and of course, you know, just going back to like Jurassic Park, 
you know, that that common theory of uh, evolution that um, dinosaurs came from birds. Well, it could have been, you know, the sinning against all flesh. Maybe it was a mixing of birds and lizards that these creatures. Well, just like well, just like we're doing today with CRISPR and this uh, this newer technology of DNA splicing. That's exactly what we saw in the '90s with the original Jurassic Park movie. You know that they they split the DNA and then they didn't have the whole DNA that so they, they inserted it in that. So they inserted something else. Right. So is it possible that the that knowledge was available and taught, or or was done by the watchers or the offspring, um, and they did their own scientific manipulation? So it wasn't just a breeding of sex that was taking place. It could have been a literal like technology, scientific technology that they were using. Yeah, that would make sense, and we we don't know if that if, that took place or not. And as we've we've seen, and as we've we've talked about the uh, the Watchers had knowledge and understanding of creation of life much beyond, you know humans at the time they definitely could have been involved in that maybe they even had the ability to manipulate those things um not necessarily with a a laboratory but maybe even as an ability and and god found that to be very offensive or sinful Mm. yeah almost like an, an innate ability like someone is good at you know i don't know they're they're just academically gifted or they're good at sports maybe they had a type of gifting that allowed them to, in a sense, uh, manipulate or create. Or, yeah, and God more than likely said, don't mess with the creation. And maybe that's something that, that happened. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, one thing, too, is uh, Dr. Judd mentioned uh, uh, Steve Quayle uh, as a quote for understanding Genesis 6 and the sin of the watchers as being the Rosetta Stone of the Bible. Like, just what it unlocks in terms of understanding the Old and the New Testament and and the significance of, uh, you know, the harem of, of all these tribes where it was utter destruction um, that Joshua was on, on, the, on the rampage against, uh, against these groups. And... Um, yeah, and I think to me that's like really central to understanding God's character and the Bible. If we don't have that that understanding, uh we we can't make a lot of sense of what God does and why he's telling people to wipe out everybody. Um So yeah, I just I just love that that I I couldn't find the exact quote of Steve Quayle saying saying that, but uh, I know Doctor Judd uh, mentioned that on this episode. So, and then we kind of get into the questions of like how long was human history, which we kind of already talked about a little bit. Um, Pre Adamic race, I think some of those questions we should dig in a little bit more to that. Maybe look at some of uh, Doug Hamp's stuff with uh, with the Hebrew grammar, and then you know look at some of these gap gap theory, ruin and restoration theory. Um, Luke, I kind of wonder if uh, 
if Tim Alberino's book Birthright has a chapter or two on why he thinks um, there was this cataclysm event or or this war. I believe it does. Does it? Um, okay. I think he makes mention of it in some of his interviews on Blurry Creature. And if you were to look him up on YouTube, I think he did kind of a, a commentary to his own novel, to his own book um, in, in, in the YouTube uh, format. Um, and I think, I think he does expound on that in the book. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I find myself disagreeing with him from time to time but i don't i don't think that necessarily means he's wrong and i'm right but it's but it definitely makes me want to dig in more to understand uh uh, kind of where he's coming from on that but and like he says you know that it's it's how he makes sense of it in his brain um the timeline um and answers the questions like we just looked at in Genesis two, you know, the earth was without void, the form and void, you know, and he's seeing these little hints and he's like, you know, he's probably adding to scripture. So there's uh, some um, asterisks that need to be added there. This is my opinion that this scripture means this, but I think John said it earlier. We need to be careful not to say that this is fact or, or whatever, but leave room for God to explain it later. Um, and, um, and I, I, I've never heard Tim say that the, this is definitely the way it was. This is just his opinion on how he parses it in his brain. Right. Yeah. He, he, and he, you know, he's a passionate guy and he tends to, um, assert his beliefs in a way that, that comes across, if I could say, like he's saying it's fact when, when in fact it's, he's really just saying this is this is how I see it fit, um, but yeah, I think it's it's worth it's worth digging into more to to have an understanding. And um, Doug Hamp's uh, a debate opponent, uh, Doug. I want to say it's Woodward, but I have to look it up. Um, when he was giving his opening statement in the debate, he was kind of saying one of the reasons that he leans more towards the view that he has is because he's thinking about kind of the things in the in the astrophysics and the in the physics of the world and history lining up more with this longer timeline and and I get that you know there was um there was another uh debate I I saw years ago against you know a young earth and an old earth creationists going at it and um the the old earth was looking at a lot of the astronomical things. They were talking about, well, the light from a star or all these things. But then in the back of my head, I'm going, yeah, but God could, he could make a rock right now and drop it in my hand and you could test it and it would show it's millions of years old. He can make that, you know, Adam and Eve weren't babies in the garden. They were, for all we know, adults. Um. But if you saw them on the street, you would say, oh, you're 30 years old. Well, no, I'm actually about 12 hours old, you know. <laughs> so right, right. I don't know if you can use the physical world and say things have to be this old. I think you're right. But if you're of the viewpoint, like we said multiple times, Genesis 2, there was 
a, a, a landmass, there was an earth that was in a certain state, could that have been created and, and uh, satisfy the scientist's view on, on timeline? And then, so it's like both are right. Yeah, this is old, but then we have the Genesis account and then we got the young earth. So it's kind of like both are mingling together mm. and both, both puzzle pieces fit. I don't know. Yeah, that's possible. And that's kind of, that's kind of the position that, um, that the other Doug, uh, took in the debate was, I think things have been around for thousands or millions of years, but I also still think creation was six literal days. He just thought that there was like a big, between Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, there was a lot of, a lot of time. But at the very least, I like how in one of um, Doug Hamp's uh, seminars, he puts it this way. Genesis 1, 1 is the beginning. Like there's nothing before it. There's literally just God. And, um, and that's, that's kind of where at least I start with. And then from 1, 1 to 1, 2, that's, <laughs> that's a little more up in the air. But um, yeah, you know what? I think I think let's save some of this other stuff for for next time. Um, let's get into uh, kind of the significance of Mount Hermon. Um, Ryan Peterson has a has a section in his book where he asserts that uh, that it may have been more likely the River Jordan is where these watchers would have come down and commingled. Um, so we could maybe get into that. And then the other the other thing I wanted to look at is kind of because um, they spent a good deal uh, talking about this. Nate Luke and Doctor Judd did about um, the etymology of the word myth, how it's so different from how we use it today, and then you know how we associate uh, myths and fantasy with kind of our culture, and we we compartmentalize, and that has a lot to do with. Uh, you know, the Enlightenment era and this age of empiricism where everything has to be tested and verified. Um, I want to get into to all that kind of thought because what that does is it necessarily leads us into needing a, a skeptical conspiratorial view of the world because there is, there's the sense that if you, if you don't have uh, academic freedom, if you don't have, be able to discuss ideas freely, um, you're not able to test things and, and verify them, then you, you can't challenge ideas properly. Um, but, but then there, but with that empiricism comes the idea that if you have an oral tradition, let's say, like a lot of these cultures did before written languages, Oh, well, that didn't happen. We can't trust that, you know. And so there's this age of empiricism where everything has to be written down or it didn't happen. Um, and that kind of leads into um, Doc, uh, Doug Van Dorn's book uh, on conspiracy theory that I, I would suggest to you guys would be a good, maybe a good a, a good next step after uh, after next week. One thing I wanted to mention, I uh, I listened to uh, episode 13 of Blurry Creatures, 
Um, I, I'm not sure if we had talked about that. That's a Doug Van Dorn one as well. And um, there was, it, this is not a quote, but it's the general idea when you're talking about conspiracies, is that an atheist is going to look at the Bible and call that whole thing a conspiracy. And what people are like nowadays are kind of like this, where I get my information is the only source. No other information can challenge it. And um, anything not on CNN never happened or whatever. And that it's not, again, that's not a quote, but it gives a real good idea as to how our society works right now. And, and people don't believe anything anymore. And I think there's a, I think there's a wonderful, um, you know, mystical uh, world out there that, you know, maybe we're not allowed to at this point see, uh, but some of it kind of slips through. And I don't want to say God leaves cracks in between worlds, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe things are coming closer to end times um, as we talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things have been turned on their head basically. Um, and again, I'm, I want to I want to save a lot of this for next time, but I'll just touch on it briefly. We are in an age of knowledge where knowledge is abundant and freely available, and yet in that age, very few people take advantage of that knowledge, and very people very few people, you know, kind of hang their hat on something and say this is true. It's all kind of up in the air and subjective and your truth is different than my truth and all of this stuff. So you compare that or contrast that to, you know, times past where knowledge was was much more limited, but people were very solid in in a lot of what they believed. And now it's flipped. You have lots and you have an abundance of knowledge. And people are are very wishy-washy on what's actually true. I just think that's an interesting juxtaposition. So, yeah, so let's get into, uh, I think for next time, let's get into the rest of the episode talking about Mount Hermon and the significance there. Um, I could probably send you uh, some links or something or sections of Ryan Peterson's book where he's talking about the River Jordan as possibly being the, the place where the watchers... Uh, came down and did this sin. And then, yeah, I really want to get into just this this idea of, of marginalizing and dismissing knowledge uh, because of the Age of Enlightenment and empiricism and all of that stuff. And I think that leads well into, again, like I said, necessarily having to have be open to conspiracies that that that's that's literally the way the the history of the world is you can't get away from it or as, as uh, Steve Bannon says on his radio show there are no con- there are no uh, conspiracies but there are no coincidences well that's a good a good place to, to leave it for now so uh, thank you Luke thank you Don and we will pick it up again next week all right sounds good you guys all right. the rest of the day all right take care all right bye bye
to the Days of Noah podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, please leave us a positive review, like and share with your friends and family just to help grow our audience, grow our listener base, grow this channel to be able to reach more people. We hope to understand the Bible correctly, understand who God is, understand history, and that's why we're exploring these topics. And uh, on top of that, a lot of them are, are just plain fascinating. So we appreciate each and every one of you tuning in each week. Come back next time. See you then. Bye-bye.